Mm-hmm. It's like they've got a good problem tonight, isn't it? They've hardly got enough cushions. Mm-hmm. A good problem to have. Um, what I'd like to talk to you tonight about is actually um, something I worked out a, a number of years ago um, and put into a framework in terms of understanding human emotion. And um, I put together a little um, chart, and you can you can actually uh, find this on the um, our website under a talk which is called um, Healing and Emotional Maturity, which is about Buddhism and psychotherapy. Um, or you can also download this as a, a podcast too. Um, but it's called a framework for emotional maturity, and uh, often when you read uh, Buddhist texts, um, you can quite easily get the impression that traditional Buddhism um, looks down on emotions as being kind of so they're negative, or it's an indication of weakness, or it's a hindrance of some kind. But actually, Buddhism. I, I don't. I remember reading that there isn't an equivalent of the word emotion in Buddhism. They had a a lot of the confusion between Buddhism as a kind of psychology and Western psychology is that they're very different systems and people try to sometimes translate one into the other. But they're different, different way of mapping human experience. Um, and yet from my experience, as a, my training as a psychologist, um, we, we never perceived emotions as necessarily being automatically negative. Emotions can have a, a positive aspect to them, and a lot of the work that psychologists do, <clears throat> in very broad terms, is helping people to not get rid of their emotions, but to learn to regulate their emotions more effectively and integrate them. That's really a, sums up a lot of a lot of the work that we do. Um, so people often come in because they have. Um, in their own mind, too much anger or too much sadness or too much fear or too much shame, and we help to regulate it. So we don't actually get rid of it, but it's at a reasonable level. And what's also come into the lexicon of everyday life as well is um, the idea of emotional intelligence. Um, Last century, the only intelligence we thought was there was IQ is basically um, examining or assessing verbal and mathematical skills. And then the idea of intelligence got sort of broadened into having multiple facets to it. People can have athletic intelligence or musical intelligence, all kinds of creative intelligence. And then the idea of emotional intelligence came into being, um, where we could see that emotions have a place to play in wisdom. It's not the not the sort of uh, hindrance to wisdom. If we look back into a lot of um, Western philosophy and ideas that we've inherited from our culture, um, you would get the idea that reason is superior to emotion. Mm-hmm. That emotion gets in the way of reason. Yes, it can. Yeah, it's excessive, but it also informs it at the same time. Um, there's a lot of, when you read into the literature around Buddhism and psychology, um, 
you could quite easily get confused because there's quite a lot of different views about this topic. And I put this together to at least try and make sense of it for myself, if not to anyone else. But other people have said, the feedback I've got is that other people find it useful. Um, when we look at um, all of the main emotions that make up the human experience, there's um, maybe eight of them, at least in the emotional intelligence model, there's eight. And I've added another one, which makes it nine, which is not really an emotion, um, but it's the experience of equanimity or serenity or peace. And in a sense, it's not an emotion in the same sense that white is not a colour. But um, we add white into the spectrum of colours. It's kind of like a non-colour. But if we name the different emotions that we, ex we experience in the repertoire of emotions we have as a human being, there's um, love, there's joy, there's equanimity, which I've added in, there's fear, there's anger, there's sadness, there's shame, there's disgust, and there's surprise. And when you look at the at human experience in the human brain, you can see that these emotions are hardwired into it. So to have the idea that you can get rid of them, or the idea in some Buddhist traditions that you can get rid of them, seems to be just plain nonsense, quite frankly. Um, we all, for instance, have in our brain, a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is a fight-flight mechanism, which is a, a, where a lot of emotion is generated, particularly fear and aggression. Every animal has it to alert it, it's like an alert system, either run away or fight. We all have it. There's no getting away from it. And um, our brain, in a sense, is like a computer, like it's the hardware, and it has a lot of software in it. And we have an attachment system, attachment software. So we're, we're, we're mammals, you know, we feel. We feel love and connection and bonding, and we feel abandonment and those things. They're all part of our experience. But when we look at it from a Dharma perspective, um, it is in the nature of practice that there is a, a transformation um, in the way that we experience our life when the, the, the ego sense shrinks more and more, reduces more and more. And as that reduces more and more and there's less grasping and aversion in the way that we live our life, then there is a flowering of equanimity and compassion and joy and love that, that emerges. Mm -hmm. The others, but the emotions don't go away, they all have a purpose to play. So if we look at the we look at each emotion, what I've done um, in this little framework here is all the emotions are top across the top there. You see? And here on the side, you can classify them either into destructive emotions or constructive emotions. And the shift in Dharma practice is going from destructive to constructive, not the elimination of emotions. So if you look at the word love or the experience of love, even these positive, so-called positive emotions can be destructive because the destructive side of love could be like narcissism, like malignant self-love, mm -hmm. arrogance, conceit, 
vanity is a kind of love, but most of us would consider that has a destructive kind of quality to it. But turn it around into a constructive emotion, which is what we're moving towards in practice, is kindness, friendliness, empathy, compassion. You take joy as an emotion, which again would normally be seen as a, a, a positive emotion, but it can be used in a, in a self-centred way as well. Joy, when it's destructive, is a sense of um, triumph, like victory over others, um, even sadism, like a pleasure in seeing another person's pain or defeat, joyful expression. Yeah. But is it a is it a is it a is it a, a loving experience or connecting experience, or is it egocentric? On the other hand, the constructive emotion, joy can be delight, satisfaction, gladness, empathic joy in the achievement of others. Equanimity, in its negative sense, can be indifference, fatalism, numbness, resignation. In its constructive sense, can be acceptance, patience, poise, and serenity. Now to come to the so-called negative emotions, fear. Fear can be anxiety, worry, or stress, where we're kind of in a little bubble, or um, fear as everyone here has probably experienced in one way or another, it can be concern. That's why you don't want to get rid of fear. If you get rid of fear, you would get rid of concern. If you're a parent and you have a little child holding your hand, you know, going along a main road, you'd want to feel fear. You'd want to feel concern. That, that's a healthy kind of fear to have. So to think that Dharma practice is about getting rid of fear is just a nonsense. It has its place. You wouldn't cross that road and get to the other side safely if you didn't have fear. Mm -hmm. You'd just be indifferent. And they've actually done experiments. I know that some of these experiments are horrid, but they do experiments on rats and they take out their amygdala. They're not enlightened rats. You know? They're just they're just a bit sort of sort of flat. Mm -hmm. They're not alive. Um, so. Fear, in its positive sense, is concern for the preservation of life or protection from harm. Anger. Um, anger, in its negative self, can be um, self-righteousness, resentment, hatred, impatience, irritability. But the energy of anger turned around in a constructive way can be um, assertiveness, um, determination, even potentially aggression if it's in the service of protecting life or preventing harm. Be turned around that way. Sadness in its negative sense can be bitter bitter kind of sadness, self-pity, pessimism, even depression. Um, but sadness is an interesting human emotion. You know, without if you imagine that we were never sad or we never experienced sadness, there'd be a kind of depth missing from our life. So much literature and so much beautiful music is written in the theme of tragedy. You think of Shakespeare's tragedies or some beautiful music. Um, it's sad. But with, with, without that, it just simply wouldn't be a, a depth to human experience or perhaps the, the, the capability of understanding other people's suffering or our own suffering. Mm -hmm. um, 
sadness in its constructive sense can be um, experienced not as bitter sadness but as sweet sadness. Mm -hmm. um, or in the experience of just pure grief, bereavement, um, and compassion for the, the universality of suffering. Shame can be experienced as what we call in our jargon toxic shame um, or neurotic guilt where people have an excessive amount of shame, um, which is kind of like acidic, you know, it's really, really harmful. Um, on the other side, there's such a thing as realistic guilt, healthy shame, or even atonement. I've done even a, a Dharma talk on this years ago, that um, sh shame in its healthy sense plays such an important role in all kinds of spiritual and religious experience. Um, around the, um, the practice, for instance, of atonement. Mm -hmm. um, and if you break down the word atonement, at one mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, Without shame as an important emotion in our repertoire as human beings, we would be shameless. Mm -hmm. Which is the kind of word that we describe for sociopathic behaviour, psychopathic behaviour. People who will do things to harm other people and they don't feel any remorse. Mm -hmm. So the ability to actually feel remorse is a very, the, the fact that you can feel it is a very positive human experience. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's to actually um, acknowledge um, harm that we've done to others in the past, you know, in the present. It's actually one of the, the expression of that is one of the first sutras we recite, you know, the Purification Sutra. Um, disgust is an interesting emotion. Um, it's, a, it's perhaps one of our most primitive ones. And the role that disgust plays in, in any animal's life, it's, it's like just a very primitive ex experience to smell or taste something to see whether it's edible. Very, very simple but very basic um, survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. And, um, but as human beings, you know, being more cultured and so on, not only do we have um, a sense of disgust, say it's putrid food, but we extend it to all different parts of our culture as well, so that um, we could be disgusted by what we think is unethical behaviour, like say people ripping off old people, mm -hmm. we would think that was disgusting, or child abuse is something that comes to mind, something that we just have a sense of revulsion at and disgust. And uh, in that sense, in an evolutionary sense, it makes up part of that, the, the ethical ground of the human being's behaviour. Mm -hmm. um, but turn it around and you have good taste. Mm -hmm. Without disgust, you couldn't have good taste, is the other part of it. Discernment. Mm -hmm. Surprise um, is a, an inbuilt um, emotion which is built into human beings and animals, be it in children, for instance, and, and adults. Um, when, it's, when it's excessive and, and inappropriate, it becomes kind of like distraction and hypervigilance. Some people confuse for mindfulness. Mindfulness is not hypervigilance. 
um, but turn it around and it becomes curiosity, interest, wonder. All of these emotions, as I said, are um, hardwired into us. And uh, we try to um, ignore or suppress our emotions at our peril. But from a Dharma perspective as well, we identify them at our peril. If we think we are our emotions, that that's what our identity is, and we narrow it down to that in some kind of fixed way, um, that is the source of a lot of our suffering. But if we just see it as energy that goes through us, and if we don't attach kind of very um, fixated negative narratives to the emotions, it's just energy that runs through us. That's what makes us human. One of my um, old teachers, Robert Aitken, um, used to say about thinking, um, is that because Zen is often seen as being anti-intellectual and he was trying to correct that view and he said that um, in Zen we learn to use concepts rather than being used by them. That's the difference, rather than just not having concepts at all. And the same could apply to emotions. We can use emotions in the service of life or we can be um, we can misuse them and use them inappropriately. That's the distinction between a Dharma life and not a Dharma life, or a path of growth um, rather than a path of delusion. So I don't know whether I've confused you more or whether that's brought any light at all, but um, um, at least I clarified a few things to myself when I wrote it out. <laughs>